Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? Full of energy? Because I am. <laughs> so, um, honestly, it's, it's, it's a privilege to be here. And for those who don't know me, my name's Andrew, and I am one of the pastoral apprentices here. And I have the privilege to be here this summer and hang out with you guys and, and serve this community. And, and it's really been awesome so far. But today we are in the book of Hebrews, and I, I really hope everyone here has really been enjoying it, because studying it has been such, such a joy. And last week we saw how Jesus was our greatest hope. Because of Jesus' work, we could cling to um, his presence behind the veil, and we can now be in relationship with him, and that gives us the hope we need. And now today we'll be in Hebrews 7, chapter 7. And the, uh, the author of Hebrews is really driving and continuing to build this argument to give us confidence that we can hold fast to Christ. But the question that I want us to be processing and thinking as we get into the text today is, how do we get to God? And, and this is a question that many people ask at some point in their life. But our culture gives us many ideas about multiple ways to know and experience God. There are so many religions out there that say, well, we have it figured out. We are right. There's one in particular called Baha'i, which um, believes that all religions actually lead to God. Um, from the sounds of it, it sounds pretty odd, like, like what we, we want all people to go. But we also see another popular view, um, and it's this self-righteous mindset. If you are just a good enough person, if you just do enough things, you can get to heaven. But that is just not true. Um, what Scripture tells us is the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. The God of Christianity is a relational God. He wants to be in relationship with us. Unlike other religions, there's not much of a relationship involved. It's about all what we can do. But since our God is relational, he has set up a priesthood and a tabernacle, starting in the Old Testament, um, to be able to dwell amongst his people. This is the promise that he always wanted to fulfill. He's, he's a relational God. So we'll be exploring this in, in chapter 7 here. And there's a lot of talk of this, this person named Melchizedek. So we'll be seeing how Melchizedek and Jesus, who comes from the line of Melchizedek, is in contrast to the Levitical priesthood and Aaron's priesthood. So we'll see this contrast back and forth. So I really have to fly by because Pastor Micah gave me 28 verses to cover in one sermon. So <laughs> I, I won't be able to go in deep with everything, but I'll be kind of doing a running commentary. So I'll be reading and then explaining, and we can journey in the scriptures together. So if you would like to turn with me, we'll get into, we'll, we'll just get started here because there's not, not much time. <laughs> so Hebrews 7. 
This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of kings and blessed him. So let's pause here. There's an important note to make in this verse. Melchizedek is a priest king. And this is important to note because these are two major offices or positions that people held in the Old Testament. For priests, they had a role of interceding on behalf of the people. And kings also did that, but in a more prominent position of, of guiding, guiding Israel. So we'll continue on. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. When we're given a name in the Bible, it's very important. So we see here that Melchizedek was a king of righteousness as well as a, a king of peace. But this points forward to something greater in Jesus. Because of Jesus' work, we can be at peace with God. This is that shalom that Pastor Micah likes to talk about. And it's based upon the righteousness of God. So right here we have the author really stating his intention of, of this chapter. So we'll continue on in verse 3. Without so this Melchizedek, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So here we can see that he's starting to build the links of Jesus coming from the line of Melchizedek. Now how are they similar? Uh, Melchizedek is presented in Genesis as having no genealogy. So he just kind of pops up, and then Abraham um, is blessed by Melchizedek, and he also gives him a tenth. So what the writer here of Hebrews is inferring is since he is with no genealogy, then he resembles that eternal nature of Jesus because Jesus has always existed. We will now move on to verses 4 through 7. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from, descendants from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So here in this chunk, we see two ways as Melchizedek being superior, superior to Abraham in that Levitical priesthood. First, in that Abraham gave a tenth to the tithe of, uh, to Melchizedek. Um, and so what this means is a tenth of the spoils were, were first to be given to God for, for his work, for his deliverance. It's like how we, we today give tithes to God, the first of our earnings. And second, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So you see Melchizedek blessing, blessing Abraham. 
So in case we missed the point, the writer kindly states the center of these, these first verses, Melchizedek being greater, mediated a blessing to the lesser, who was Abraham. Now the writer is starting to build his argument from Scripture, but he continues to go back to the same language of eternal nature of priesthood. Words like eternal and forever but in these next verses, declared to be living. So these are key, key words that continue to be brought up. So let's continue in verses 8 to 10. In one case, the tenth is collected by people who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So here we're able to see a contrast between Levi, the priesthood which came from Abraham, because Abraham was, was the father of all Israelites, and then the priesthood which comes from Melchizedek. So in verse 8, those from the line of Levi who were priests ended up dying, they were human. So there is this temporary nature of the priesthood. Although Melchizedek was human, because he's, he's not eternal, but based on Scripture, what Scripture tells us is he had no genealogy, as, as he appears out of nowhere. So, so the author is hinting at this, this, this aspect of his eternality that Jesus actually fulfills. And what we know from the Bible is that Jesus is the true priest from the line of Melchizedek. That he is seated at the right hand of God. He is reigning and ruling now as our priest king. Now let's let that truth sink in. The reign and rule of Jesus Christ. So shouldn't we rely on Jesus more? Right? Because what scripture tells us, he's the only way that we can get to God, the only way to God the Father. And Paul in Romans 6, 9 has this, this beautiful verse that really highlights this. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. We'll move on to, to verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So the writer is continuing to build his argument. Why was there another priest needed to come? Now the priesthood that was established was just temporary. As we see from the garden, God has always made a way to dwell with his people. Adam walked with God. He is a relational God. But it was never designed to forgive sins fully, the tabernacle and the priesthood. Because it does not have the power to transform human beings to made alive again. That's only done through through Jesus, for believing in Jesus and that cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. And now this perfection is, is an end-time reality. 
So logically, a human priest could not live long enough to present humanity to God. There would need to be a greater priest, an eternal priest, that could present us to God blameless. So, so this is what the writer's trying, trying to highlight. He's really building his argument. So we'll continue on to verses 12 and 14. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must change, be changed also. He of, who, he of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So the argument continues. The Levitical priesthood could not provide the means of salvation. And the reference to the law here is to show how this actually foreshadows Christ's fulfillment of that. And, and we see the writer of Hebrews doing this all throughout <coughs> Hebrews. The, the temple, the, the tabernacle, these are all fore, foreshadowed Jesus' work. That they all point to Christ, our great high priest. So Paul uses the law in Romans to show how without it, we would have no idea that we have sinned. Without the law, we wouldn't know we have trans, transgressed. It's on our conscience. But through our own good works, we, we cannot save ourselves. Jesus called out the Pharisees for this. We are imperfect beings. Thus, we needed another to come in our place and take our place. And if the Levitical priesthood was not enough, then what is? It's, it's kind of been hinted at already. But imagine if we had to continue to still sacrifice animals today. Just hearing how expensive goats are, I'm like, I'd be broke for sure. <laughs> I was just think, thinking about it. Um, even talking to Len, too. It's like, aren't, aren't we thankful we don't have to do that anymore? We, ha- we, we have Jesus that gave that once and for all. We have a priest who makes a sufficient sacrifice once and for all. And is that not great news? We do not need to be self-sufficient in that we do enough good deeds to earn God's love, but we can trust in Christ's work, and that is sufficient enough for us to be, be in relationship with God. Because his priesthood is from an internal order, and this is why we see the mention of, of Judah here in verse 14. God established the line of Judah from David. He, in, in 2 Samuel 7, he promised to make a king from that line, which, which Jesus fulfilled. So now we will continue on. We're, uh, we're almost halfway through, so <laughs> I hope you guys are still tracking. <laughs> There's, there's a, lot, a lot to cover here. So verse 15. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of indestructible life. There's that word again, indestructible life. 
And this is Psalm 10:4 being quoted. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And here, here's the key word. And a better hope is introduced. By which we draw near to God. In verse 16, we see the language of eternity based on the power of indestructible life. Jesus is forever seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. The superior nature of Jesus' priesthood is evident as he, as he conquered death. We, we saw that in that Romans 6 passage. But with the Levitical priesthood, they... They can't conquer death because humans, we, we can't do that. We are, we are human. The priests kept dying, so they always needed someone to succeed them. So here's a little footnote. Only priests could, um, you only could be a priest if you descended from the line of Levi. So in verse 18, here again we see that the writer interjects so we do not miss the main point. The main point being the sufficiency of Christ and his priesthood, being from, from the line of Melchizedek, how Melchizedek points forward to Jesus in contrast to the Levitical priesthood, which was weak and useless because it could not make things perfect. The priesthood, the sacrificial system, an atonement put in place by God were, were only temporary. There needed to be a perfect lamb that had the complete ability to save. And what is that ability? The writer will continue to expand that theme. And verse 19 is, is so critical. A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. This is that gospel message. This is what the gospel is, being in relationship with God. And it's only through Jesus how we're able to do that. And we can come with boldness before the throne, before his throne. So remember what I talked about last week, Jesus is our better hope. We are able to be in his presence because of Jesus' work as, as a great high priest. And again, the, the writer of Hebrews is so masterful. He brings up these themes that are woven throughout. He uses the word, a better hope. And this is why we can trust him to save with all of the truths going around in the world, right? How do we know what's the right truth? Well, we have scripture and we have the oath that God gives. But when we are self-sufficient, it leads to disappointment because we never feel as if we measure up enough. But those who put their hope in Jesus will never be disappointed. So let us continue to verses 20 and 21. And it was not without oath. Others become priests without any oath. But he, Jesus, he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So, so what we have in Scripture is when God says something, he comes through with his promises. The oath he swore was to himself. 
And since he is the greatest being in the universe, he is able to fulfill that. Now, for the Levitical priesthood, there was no oath given, meaning it would be obsolete eventually. But in contrast, Jesus' priesthood stands forever. And it's confirmed by God's word. Is that not awesome, church? And Psalm 10.4 is quoted so, so often through Hebrews. The Lord has sworn not to change his mind. You are a priest forever. This is a beautiful promise. And, and this is why I lo- love scripture. It's just full of these, these wonderful truths. So let's continue on to verse 22. So because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantor of a better covenant. We can have assurance that Christ's work is sufficient because of the new covenant that comes with it. Now, I will not go into much detail with this because, well, Pastor Micah will be explaining what covenant is, but I, but I can give a little teaser. As part of the new covenant, we have this everlasting forgiveness, which is given. There's, there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here we see the superiority of Jesus. All of these Old Testament promises of blessing, priesthood, covenant, and temple are fulfilled by Christ. And now the writer spends a good chunk of time on this because the original audience, they were tempted to drift away. This is that contextual background of Hebrews, back to their religious mindset. But it is important to do good, right? From the gospel tells us that. But the self-righteous mindset of trying to save ourselves does not lead to lasting hope. But we can have confidence and build our lives on the priesthood of Christ as our high priest because of his sufficient work. And these last verses drive the point home. So let us continue, verses 23 to 25. Now there has been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, how great is that word, church? He is able to save completely those who come to him. That's our hope. And I've been hinting at it already in the text here makes it explicit. But why is his priesthood superior? Because he always lives. He is eternal. So he always can intercede for us. And this is the best news humanity could offer. With our inability to save ourselves, we can fully rely and trust in Jesus to save us. He can present us before the Father because Jesus defeated death. We do not have to worry about death anymore. And as, uh, as um, Pastor Cain was leading us in worship with the old rugged cross, like I, I couldn't help but just sit in my seat and cry because that's that promise, right? Jesus dying for us, that's, that's the hope we have. It was it's so beautiful. But he, Jesus, is the ultimate high priest. And one of my favorite verses, I, I have lots of favorite verses, but uh, 
And Revelation 1.18 really highlights this fact of his eternal nature. And this is Jesus speaking. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. I hold the key of death and Hades. Through his death and resurrection, he defeated death. And now he's reigning and ruling as our king priest. Let us move on to the last, the last chunk here, 26 to 28. I feel like I'm uh, running a sprint here. Verse 26, such a priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. So the Levitical priests, before they could go on behalf of the people, they had to sacrifice for themselves. But Jesus, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. So verse, th this is really like the creme de la creme. He's been building his argument, and now we have this great finale. It's kind of like a doxology in a way. But how is Jesus able to save completely? And verse 26 tells us that he is holy, blameless, pure, set apart. He is, he's holy, and how Jesus did this is he added humanity to his nature through the virgin birth, being 100% man, 100% God. And through this, he acted as a new Adam. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. And he was able to fulfill the law so we don't have to. Because we, we are unable to do that because we're, we're sinful beings. But because of Jesus' fulfillment of the law of being holy and perfect and fully submitting to the Father, his righteousness is given to us. And the technical term for this in theology is called justification. So how, how I like to explain it is like a judge with a gavel. So upon faith in Jesus, now God sees us through Jesus. And it's like a judge with a gavel smacking it, declaring us not guilty. And honestly, I honestly don't really have to give much comment because the, the author really, um, the scriptures speak for themselves. But in verses 27 to 28 is, is another key, key statement. And this is a thread that goes all throughout scripture. He offered himself. And this is made really explicit in Isaiah 53. So if you have ever read Isaiah 53, I recommend it. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. But it's talking about the suffering servant. And then Mark picks this up in Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for ransom of many. This is, this is the God we serve. He let go of his glory temporarily to come redeem humanity. 
he freely offered himself. And a question that I always like to remind myself and reflect on is how am I serving others? How am I being selfless towards others? As Paul says, we are to be imitators of Christ. But now it's important that we take what we have learned from the passage and apply it to our lives. So that question that I asked, how are we able to get to God? We are unable to do it because we're sinful beings. And Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. All have turned to their own way. But the Lord laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus was that spotless lamb, which prov provided a sufficient sacrifice for all of humanity. Why as humans do we think we need to earn God's love? Let us have some confession time. I've fallen into this mindset many times, like this, this self-righteous uh, mindset of, oh, if I do more for God, he'll love me more. But that's not the case. He already loves us infinitely. But this self-righteous mindset leads us to a heavy burden of never feeling like you measure up enough. But what does Jesus say in Matthew eleven thirty? My yoke is easy. He has taken our guilt and burdens away. And this all comes through having faith in Jesus. But also we have another powerful scripture verse that really highlights this. And it's found in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9. For it's been by grace you have been saved through faith. Here's the kicker. It is not from yourself, but a gift from God. Not by works, so that no man can boast. So no one can boast. It's a free gift. You just have to accept it. And these are some very powerful texts, and they're all throughout Scripture. But they are in Scripture to help us to get us out of that religious mindset and to trust God, to uh, trust God that his work was sufficient and for us not to be self-sufficient. And honestly, like I said, I, I, I still continue to struggle with this and I think it's something that we'll always continue to struggle with as we journey through our, for our life. But this is part of being human. And the more I dig into the scriptures, the more of this mindset of my, my self-righteousness wants to go away. How can I fulfill the law? I can't. There had to be someone that would come for us. So I'm so thankful that, that we have Jesus. And I hope you guys are too. So kind of to conclude, the only way to get to God is through Jesus. That is a priest that had to come from the line of Melchizedek because that priesthood is that of eternal nature because no human would be able to offer a sufficient sacrifice. Now, if you would like to know more about this Jesus fellow, the God of the universe, I would love to talk to you about that more. And there are elders with us, part of the leadership team, which I can point you to and we can talk about what, what this looks like, what salvation looks like. 
The gospel is a free gift. And honestly, it's totally changed my life. And um, my prayer is that many will experience that same joy that I have. So on that note, we'll close in prayer. Uh, You can come up to worship team. Dear Jesus, oh, we thank you for, for your work on our behalf as our great high priest. And I pray, God, that you, and, and the scriptures tell us that you continue to draw people to yourself. So if anyone's feeling that, that tugging, that they can come, come to you knowing that it's a free gift of salvation, God. So we thank you for your work on our behalf as the great high priest king, reign and ruler of the universe. We thank you for just the ability to gather together as as a church family and really worship and celebrate what you are doing in the world, what you're doing in Etwistle. And and we love you so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.